You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Paul says this, he says, What shall we say then in verse 1, Romans 6, 1? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Paul just finished telling us last week, they said, guys, here's the deal. Whenever you sin, you always get more grace. Grace is God's love to us in spite of our sin and Jesus dying for us. And when you sin, the grace is always bigger. You sin more, the grace is even more. And if you have sinned a lot, the grace is even more. Like you can never out the grace that God wants to give you. And that's what Paul is just one of the foundational truths of biblical Christianity, the, the faith that the Bible teaches us that God loved us and that our sins are real and makes us accountable to a holy God in heaven. But God loved us more and He sent Jesus to die for us and He rose again that we celebrate. And that grace that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ always is more, always outnumbers it, always is bigger, is always greater. So Paul asks a question, well, if, if grace is always bigger than our sin, then what does that mean? Should we like sin a whole bunch more so that we can get more grace? You know, is that how the economy works? He says, not by no means. How can we who died in, to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with baptism, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I want you to notice four or five things here that are so important for us to realize that what Easter does in our life, it brings the greatest change. We all want changes in our life, do we not? For 1995, you can have a better makeover, you can get your hair, you can, I mean, the whole world is always selling us, so I don't care whether it's social media or if it's advertising on TV, buy this, it'll change your life. Do this. If you create this habit in your life, oh, it'll make everything new, it'll change your life. Everything is promising us to change our life. I think we really want that as people. But the one thing that I know of that genuinely will deliver and change us profoundly, our core, if you will, identity, our, our core DNA, is the power of the resurrection of Jesus, the things that we're talking about this morning. And the first thing that, that he tells us is, is that we it causes us to die to sin. It means because of the resurrection, we, we've died to sin. Our life is completely different you see, before Jesus, we're only, all that we know to do is to do wrong. All that we know to do is to, to follow our own way and to do our own thing. It's the stuff why moms and dads pull their hair up. Like, why am my kid being so bad today? Why can't they just be good? You know, ah. no parent ever told their child, you know, how to be bad. They just automatically know how to do it. You don't have to teach your kid that. You got to spend all your time teaching them to do good, right? I mean, it's just kind of common sense. And But after Jesus, we have died to those sins. So Paul says, does that then mean because grace is good and we want more grace, forgiveness is good, we want more forgiveness, does that mean that we should go out and do more stuff so that we get more forgiveness and grace? Not at all. River kids, you're, you, those of you usually in our program, since you're in the room this morning, let me ask you a question. Has your mom or dad ever on the first day of school said your first day of school? Now listen, buddy, I want you to do something. You know, forgiveness and grace is good. And I, to be a good mom, I need to learn how to forgive you more. And I want your teacher 
to learn how to give you more grace. I want your teacher to learn how to forgive more. So here's the deal, buddy. I want you to be today bad at school. I want you to be obnoxious to your friends. I want you to talk when the teacher's talking. I want you to not do your work. I don't want you to pay attention. I want you to pull out your phone. I want you to talk to your friend across the way. I want you to be bad because I want your teacher to learn how to be gracious. And I want, your, I want to learn as a parent how to forgive you for even more stuff. Kids, has your mom or dad ever told you that? Wouldn't it be awesome if your mom said, hey, just go out and be bad. Like, go get dirty. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter. Just go do whatever you want to do. It would be awesome, right? That's what Paul sounds like. It makes no sense. Because we're forgiven of our sin doesn't mean that now we can just go and do whatever we want in life. Sometimes people who accuse Christians of that or certain kinds of Christians, like you just think you can do whatever you want to do because you're not going to lose your salvation or because of, you know, you're now forgiven of your sin. And sometimes as Christians, we can even think that. We can say, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. I know that it's bad, but I know God's going to forgive me. I know that Jesus already died for me. And we kind of make an excuse of that. We presume upon the grace of God. And Paul says we should never do that. We never have an excuse. In fact, it's the opposite. When we come to know Jesus, for the first time in our life, we can actually begin to live differently. You see, until that time, we're all stuck. And we might be able to maneuver a little bit of behavior. We might go to a certain program that we get, you know, things straightened out a little bit for ourselves, but we kind of fix it here. But it's, it's kind of like trying to hold up jello against the wall or nail it. As soon as you try to hold it here, it starts falling down here and you come over here and it, you know, starts slipping. That's the way our lives are. We kind of focus on one area. The next thing you know, we've got issues and all kinds of stuff over here and jealousies and anger or whatever. And, and we can't solve it. But what Jesus did when He died on the cross is He breaks the power of that sin in our life and we die to that. Have you ever offended somebody so bad, you know, or maybe somebody got so frustrated that you're like, you're dead to me. You know, that's a saying, right? I haven't heard that in a long time, but you're dead to me. In other words, you're no longer important to me. You're no longer alive to me. It was just as if you were dead. And that's what the resurrection did for us. We have died to sin. Before Jesus, we were dead in our sin. Our sins earned us death. But after Jesus, after we surrender our life to Him and by faith have received Him as Lord of our life, we are now dead to sin. We're not dead in it. We are dead to it. Second thing I want you to know, not only does it change our life on the inside and give us a new life, but it also gives meaning to our baptism Paul gives a logical argument. He's like, you ought to know this, church. We ought to know that we shouldn't presume upon God's grace. Yes, God forgives us, and yes, God changes us, but the deal is is we shouldn't just go out and presume on it and keep doing what we want to do. Now that we're forgiven of our sins, we actually should do well, and you should get this because think about your baptism. He says, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. And we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of Easter, it gives meaning to our baptism. 
Not the other way around. Our baptism doesn't give meaning to the resurrection. It doesn't give meaning to our salvation. Instead, our salvation and the resurrection of Jesus gives meaning to our baptism. He says we should get this principle that we've died to sin because it's the picture of our baptism. He says you have been buried with Jesus. That's why we, one of the reasons why we at River that we put people under the water. I know some of you, maybe many of you have been, you know, baptized differently, pouring or kind of a sprinkling kind of thing. But one of the reasons that we do it is the scripture talks about it, that baptism is a picture of a burial, that we have been buried with Jesus. And it's like when we lower somebody under the water and we, when we come up out of the water in that picture, it's a, that baptism, it's a picture of the new life that we, we receive. Baptism is one of those things that gets debated in churches about how to do it and what's the meaning and all of that. And I won't go long into all of that. But most people recognize, most all different churches and denominations, theologians recognize that in the New Testament, in the Bible, they were baptized by putting people under the water. That was the common thing. You see at Jesus' baptism, he goes down into the Jordan River. They, I know that was 2,000 years ago, but people were smart then too, right? They weren't dumb just because they didn't have, you know, Xbox or didn't have YouTube to watch or didn't have, you know, a lot of things that we did. And you think about it today. Like if you get baptized in a church in front of people and you get wet, you're like, I'm going to, you're going to put me under the water and everybody else isn't going to be in the water, but I'm going to be in the water and I'm going to be all wet. And you're like, that's weird. You're like, well, it really is. Well, think about it even then as well. Like we at least have hair dryers. We have rooms we can go in and clothes we can change. Like Jordan River. You, if you didn't get need to get all the way under the water, you didn't bother because there's no place you're going to change right around the corner. You weren't going to be able to, you know, to do all of that. And so, if they were just being sprinkled, they would have just taken a little bit of, you know, a pitcher of water, and you just would have stood on the nice dry ground, and they would have poured it over you, and that would have been that. But every picture we see in the Bible is they're down in the water, and it's a picture of the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and. Believe it or not, and even all through church history in those early years, in those early centuries, people were immersed. Most churches recognized that. And somewhere along the way, it became convenient to be like, that's just a lot of work. And it kind of puts you in a little bit of a spectacle, if you will, being you know dunked in front of everybody else. And it's kind of the point, to be honest with you, I think, is why Jesus did it that way. Because the point of baptism is for us to tell the world that on the outside, that we have done something on the inside, that we are trusting Jesus Christ, that we've been baptized on the inside. And so it's meant to be a a bold statement, if you will, and we do it out of obedience of what Jesus said to do. So baptism is significant because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why He told us to do it. It's a picture. Just as when we do the communion or the Lord's Supper, it's a picture of His death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is a picture of that exact same kind of thing. And so to be real transparent with you at River, it's like, well, if that's what they did in the Bible, and it's really clear that's what they did in the Bible, and people recognize it, then I'm not going to change that. Because once I start changing something here, then it's like, well, maybe I'll go change it over here. Maybe I'll change this. And it's like, no, I want to do what the Bible said to do. And that was their pattern. And so, but this baptism, believe it or not, it's actually not talking about your water baptism. It's actually talking about a different baptism, a baptism of the Spirit. When Jesus first came, He was introduced 
by John the Baptist, by John the baptizing guy, John the dunker is what that word baptism, baptize actually means. And he pointed to him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he points to Jesus as Jesus walks by. And as he looked at him, he said, I'm not worthy. As he's talking with Jesus, I'm not worthy to even untie your shoes. And he talks to the people and he says, There's going to be one that comes after that baptized you with spirit and with fire. You see, we baptize people in water as a picture of the spirit baptism that God does inside of us when we surrender our life to Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, look, on the inside, when you receive Jesus, as we've been walking through Romans, as by faith you've trusted Him, and as, as by faith we realize that even all of the rules and spiritual regulations and all the religious stuff and all the trappings in the, in the world that were followed, it's like those were important things, but those weren't the things that forgave you of your sin. He says, it's simply what Jesus did on the cross and that He did when He rose from the grave. And it's our faith in Him that, as it were, reaches out and receives that, and receives that forgiveness. And in that moment, we, don't, we feel it and we can experience it, but we don't fully comprehend it. But the Bible teaches that we are baptized, that the Holy Spirit immerses us in Christ. That's what He's talking about here is, that we are baptized with Him into Christ Jesus. He doesn't say we're baptized into water. We're baptized into Christ, and we're baptized into His death. He's talking about the spiritual baptism in our life. And, and so, Jesus rising from the dead, and when we receive Him as that, Lord of our life, and not only does He break the chain of sin in our life, not only does He actually enable us to begin to live the way that we want to, but He actually then gives us a, a reminder, an enactment, if you will, as a testimony to the world through that, the water baptism, but it's a deeply spiritual thing that He does in our life. And out of that change in our life, the Holy Spirit in our life, we walk in a completely new world. Our life is different. Things in the past are in the past, and our future is completely different, all because of what Jesus did. The third thing, and this rolls into that, that happens because of the resurrection. It unites us with Jesus. Look what verse 5 says. If we've been united with Him in death, see that's that, we're baptized, that spiritual baptism unites us with Jesus. When He died, we died. When He rose from the dead, we rose from the dead with Him. We're united with Him in a death like this. We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self, that old identity that was stuck in sin, stuck being angry when we knew we shouldn't be, stuck being wrong, stuck damaging relationships, when we were stuck pursuing things in our life, stuck in our addiction. That old life is crucified. It's put to death. It's been nailed to the cross right alongside with Jesus. It was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. 
And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. You see, the resurrection of Jesus means not just Jesus rose from the dead, but when our faith is in Jesus Christ, we have risen from the dead already as well. That There is a supernatural spiritual union of the Holy Spirit into our life that our sins were crucified. So often we look back and, and the videos that we play are so good and the songs we sing about, and it's tough for us to get our mind wrapped around the spiritual reality, but as Jesus hung on the cross, what Paul is saying is our old self and sin nature hung right alongside with Him, that we were crucified with Him, that as He rose from the dead, our resurrection, we rose from the dead as well. That's again, that's the symbolism of water baptisms. We put people under, it's a, it's an, a, a proclaimed identity and it's a proclaimed resurrection. And that changes everything inside of us. There is a unity that we have with Jesus. Have you ever been in life at a spot where you're just like, I need some support? You ever felt going through some really hard times, you know, when something bad happens or you're going through difficulties, don't we tend to reach out and text somebody? We call somebody, we talk to somebody at work. Man, this is really hard. And what we're doing is we want support because we're feeling overwhelmed, we're feeling like it's too big for us, and we're looking for some sympathy and somebody to support us. You know what the Bible says? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you never don't have support. I know it's bad English. You are never without that support because you are unified. Jesus is with you and you are with Him 100% that He died and rose again, that you died and risen again with Him as well. It is our identity with Christ that has completely changed. There is a personal union that we have with Him. You see, that means that because of Easter, we don't just do religious stuff. That, that's really not what Christianity is about at its core. I know there's a lot of churches that tend to lean that way with a lot of the things. But really at its core, it's a relationship with a person. It's having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you are united with Him, that you've said yes to Him to be your Lord and Savior of your life. And you, every day from that moment, when you take that step of faith, you are united with Him and nothing can separate you from Him whatsoever. And that He died and rose again and that you died and rose with Him and nothing can undo that reality. There's a personal unity that we have with Jesus. Folks, there's nothing that changes our life like this. Nothing. Nothing that can touch and change everything in just one move of the board that for the rest of our lives begin, we begin more and more unpacking and experiencing and almost like a dividend, we begin to get returns on our investment of what a decision and a commitment that we made to Jesus way back when and that small step of faith which seemed so big at the time when we look back it's like, oh my goodness, I should have done that even sooner. But we begin to receive more and more because we've lived out our life in the presence of God. That's why you can pray at home and sense the presence of God in your life because there is a unity with Him. It's not you praying to a God that's somewhere out there. It's praying to a God that has made His life with you in here. You've been unified with Christ. 
Fourth thing, and that leads me to this thing, is it transfers our kingdom. It transfers us to a, a different kingdom. You see, we know that Jesus has been raised from the dead in verse 9, and He will never die again. Death no longer has dominion, no longer has authority or control, has, has no power over Him, has no jurisdiction, you might say, over Him. For the death He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus rising from the dead is the proof that you as well have died to sin. A number of years ago, my uh, family and I, we lived in Potsdam, uh, way up on the Canadian border. We're 30 minutes literally from the Canadian border. When the only TV you get is... Canadian, right? And the radio stations. I mean, there. When you live north of the Adirondacks, you know you are up there. And there are a few people up there. There's probably more dairy cows than there are people. Some of you that have been there through there know what I'm talking about. But you know, there's a Seaway Valley, and so our nearest city was actually Ottawa. And if you're not familiar with Canadian geography or politics, it's actually it's there, Washington D.C. It was only an hour, hour and a half from where we live. So. I would had to fly. It was a lot closer than Syracuse, and we would take the kids up there and do different things. And it was just kind of we that was where we went to kind of find the real world in the middle of you know isolation. And I remember one time I I don't know how I found this, but I found a like a doll shop that was kind of just across the border. And I took my two uh, two oldest daughters. They were probably I don't know five or seven, seven or nine years old, something like that that age. And back then, you didn't need you didn't need like an enhanced license to get across to drive across the border. In fact, whenever I would go across the border, they're just like, "Where are you from?" I would tell them, "How long are you gonna be here? What are you gonna do?" Okay, thank you very much. Like they didn't check my ID or anything. They just drove in. I could be a homicidal maniac, you know, a serial killer going in and out of the country, and they, you know, never. I guess I didn't look the part, so maybe that's a good thing. But one day I took my daughters there to go to that doll shop. I thought, I'm going to get some dad time in. I'm going to get some dad cred. You know, I'm being a good dad. I'm doing, I know nothing about this stuff, but we're going to go and we're going to do it anyway. And I got, went up to the customs agent, this time Canadian customs agent, and they looked in the car and saw my two daughters are in the, in the car seats. And all of a sudden it hit me that I didn't bring their birth certificates or anything. And they said, are these your daughters? I said, yes. They said, you have birth certificates? I said, no. And they said, okay, well, come with me. And I'm like, uh-oh, I've never been asked to get out of the car. Now, now, you know, by the time you get there, you're in a foreign country. I mean, I know it's just Canada, and I know it's, you know, English speaking and all of that, but I'm bringing the girls in, and I'm just like, I have so messed up. I am so in trouble. Like, where do we go from this? You know, what happens? Do I get detained, deported? Like, what is this? How does this work? I was in another country. It all worked out, by the way, obviously. We got back. <laughs> they, I was in another country, not under U.S. law. I was under Canadian law. I was in a world that I did not understand nearly as well as I thought I understood. I mean, you drive in Canada, I don't know if you've ever been there, but they're green. They don't do arrows, at least they didn't then. If you need to turn left on a, on a green light, it would blink at you. One of the first times I was there, I was like, why is that light blinking at me? You know, they just don't do arrows. I finally, after enough people honking, like, oh, blinking green means go left now. The other cars aren't going to go in front of me. So I was different jurisdiction, different world. Here's the deal. Before Jesus died on the cross and rose again, before you experience that salvation in your life, you belong to a different kingdom. As we talked last week, that rules over your life, the kingdom of sin and death and darkness. 
And that's why you do things that you don't want to do. That's why you have fights with your spouse when you really don't want to. That's why you try to overcome things. You have difficulties. That's why things don't work well in this world. And that's why all of the messes are out there because of that kingdom. But now that Jesus rose from the dead, and now that you've received that and you've been identified with Jesus and you've been baptized in the Spirit, that His salvation has changed you. You belong to a different kingdom. You're under a different jurisdiction. That old one has no authority over you. That old one has no control over you. That old one has no power over your your life. You are a different world that sin and death no longer have that control and that authority in your life. You are completely in a different kingdom. You are in a different world. Sometimes as Christians, we don't fully realize that. And we still live in the world as we, we do today. But we really belong... And we're in a very different world. We're just kind of passing through. I remember when I would land at, at Ottawa, and the customs agent, after I would, would fly and land, they would say, how long have you been in the state or in the country? I'd look at my watch, about an hour. I'm just passing through. I'm trying to go home. That's our world today as, G- as followers of Jesus. You see, the resurrection is a reminder that however difficult it is and whatever you're experiencing in life, whatever the challenges and the things you don't like around you and all of that, we're just strangers in this land and we are passing through because we belong to someone else. We have another kingdom where, that holds our allegiance. Last thing I'm going to share with you is this. If, look, at, look at verse 12 with me. We actually, for the first time, have a choice in our life. He says, now this, let not therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but are under grace. We're not under the jurisdiction of the law and sin and death. We're under the jurisdiction and power of grace, of God looking at us and has forgiven us. And because of that, we are to not allow sin any authority or control in our mortal earthly body so that we obey that. Sometimes as People, we feel like, well, I can't help myself. I'm just going to be stuck. And sometimes those, those sins are like tree roots. They just go down deep into our soul. In fact, all of our sin really is cancerous and goes down deeper than we give it credit for. Sin isn't just a little surface weed. You know, if you've ever weeded, I hate, I don't garden. I don't do flowers well. I just give me some green grass and leaves and trees. be honest with you, I just soon make my house in the woods. I don't have to mow anything. I just let God kind of do all the landscaping. You know what I mean? That's what I'm talking about. That's heaven for me. But but have you ever weeded? Like some weeds, you just, poof, they're shallow. You just pop them out. And other ones, you're like, yeah, that one is not coming up. I mean, you got to get a shovel in there. Or my kind of way to roll is the the, um, the poison. Just, I know some of you are like, Sean, that's bad for the environment. I know, but it's easier sometimes. Sin in our life are like those deep-rooted weeds. It always goes deeper than we think. And what the Bible's telling us is, is that you and I now have a choice to not allow that sin 
control and authority in our life. Before Jesus, you're stuck. You can't get away from it. That's why all that junk's happened in your life and in your family and your experiences and all those bad things. But once you trust Jesus, you now have a choice. You actually, through the power of the Lord Jesus, can do what's right every single time. No more excuses. Every single time when you're faced with a decision, you can follow and do what you know you're supposed to do. Now, reality is, is we say, you know what? I'm going to give in to that, and I'm going to do that again. But it's a choice that we make in that moment. And we'll, I'm going to go far down that road because we're going to talk about that more next week. But the fact of the resurrection means that you now have an option. When you're in an argument with somebody, you don't have to be the jerk anymore. You don't have to be the anger person anymore. You don't have to be the addict anymore. You don't have to be the raving, jealous person anymore. You don't have to be the, the insane, the, the raving lunatic anymore. You don't have to be any of that. You don't have to be the, the person that's just so stuck with, with lust and greed, the person trying to get over those things. That's no longer has a hold over you. In fact, you need to, reality is you just need to consider that you are already dead to sin. The first step of that is just recognizing what am I doing? Jesus is alive, and because He's alive, I'm alive. And because I'm alive, I'm dead to sin, and I've been changed. I don't have to do that anymore. Sometimes we forget that. And because of it, we get lazy, and we make excuses, and we presume upon God's grace, and we give in to those things in our life. But for the first time, after we receive Jesus, we don't have to say yes to any of that stuff. That we can follow our Lord Jesus in a brand new life. And folks, when you start living differently, then those other relationships in your life start becoming a little bit different too. Now keep in mind, those people are sinners too. And to really have that all work out takes two sinners who are kind of working it out. But for the first time, you introduce that into your life, there's a change. And when you put two people who know Jesus that are doing better and better, and those two people get married and are living together, you know, and, and living and experiencing that grace, their life over time becomes kind of a slice of heaven. But when you have two people that don't know that power and don't have that changed life, their life often can become a slice of hell toward each other. And so this changes everything in our world that you have a choice today with what you're going to do, how you're going to react, how you're going to respond, how you're going to overcome, because you've been freed. You're a part of a different kingdom. So I don't know what God has been wanting to kind of speak in and probe into your heart this morning. I don't know what things you've been thinking through or wrestling with. I don't know what I've talked about. Sometimes it's amazing to me, and it's what God does. It's like, you were talking right at me today, Pastor. I'm like, ah, I just shared what was in the Bible. That's God talking at you. And sometimes it doesn't hit home, and that's okay. Sometimes it's for the next person. But I want to challenge each of you. What's one thing that you heard this morning that you needed to hear? What's one thing you needed to be reminded of? What's one thing that was new? What's one thing that maybe you had heard before, but had forgotten a little bit? What's one thing that was important to you? The fact that our Lord Jesus is alive and rose again, 
means we have a brand new life. Sin and death no longer has a claim over our soul. It doesn't have a claim now, and it does not have a claim over our soul in the future. We don't need to fear death. What happens after that? Because we are alive in Jesus, and that's worth singing about. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus who rose from the dead. Thank you for that changed life. Father, I thank you for the testimony of baptism as a commitment, as a testimony to that salvation, a picture of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we are grateful for all of these changes you bring. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.